Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how powerful your word is. And we thank you, God, that today you are touching us in a special way. We pray that you open our eyes, Lord, to the Gospels. We pray that you open our eyes to the methodology of Jesus. We open our hearts, Father. We want to be transformed. And we want you, Jesus, to please activate our identities today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really believing God that in this season, he's going to activate our identities. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Jesus, the identity activator. You see, to activate is to make active or intensify something. It literally means to put something to work, to literally put something into action. Okay, that's the etymology of that word activate. And it actually comes from chemistry, believe it or not. And it's not a word that was used in ancient times, but we've sort of taken it from chemistry and we've spoken a lot about activating people, activating the ministry gifts, activating the spiritual gifts. And you see what happens is this, a lot of people will, let me use the example of cell phones, you know, ever had a cell phone upgrade? Okay, so you go to the store, to your service provider, and you're told that they've up upgraded your contract and you're now on a new contract and you now have a new phone but then they tell you that it will take two to 24 hours for it to be activated and so there's no point having an upgrade if it's not going to be activated if it's not going to be put to work if it's not going to be intensified okay so that's what we're really talking about here and a lot of christians are like this aren't they you know they got saved many years ago but it's taken them two years uh, to 24 years to get activated and I believe in God that we're going to get people saved and as soon as they find salvation they'll be activated into their identity they'll walk in their identity you see uh, a lot of times people will talk about how yes you know Jesus is giving you a new identity not really you see Jesus has already given you your identity right uh, we were created in the image of God but many of us are not walking in that so Jesus comes and he activates that which is always known is our calling. He activates that which is always known is our purpose. He already had that purpose for you. He already had that purpose for me. And he comes and he activates it. Question is, how many believers are walking in this true identity? And I'm believing God that as we go through this particular series, that for many of us will be activated into our true identities. And I want to take you through some passages of scripture where we see how Jesus is the one who is central to that activation. And I think it's so, so powerful. All right. So we already have an identity from God, but Jesus comes to activate that identity. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Are you ready? Are you steady? Okay. So let's have a look at some scriptures. Luke 19 Verse 1 through to 9, it says here, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. It's amazing how so many of Jesus's miracles seem to happen when he's on his way somewhere else. He's on his way. He's on the move. And then a miracle takes place. And I want to ask you this question. Do you know what to do when Jesus is on his way elsewhere? Or do you assume that he's actually going to just pitch up where you are and uh, make camp there? Because it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes Jesus might be on the move and it's up to us to holler. It's up to us to literally say, Jesus, 
please, I'm blind. I want to see. It's amazing when you look in scripture. Do you remember there was blind Bartimaeus? And again, Jesus was on his way. He was on his way. But blind Bartimaeus said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. A lot of miracles took place when Jesus was not aiming to go to that particular place or that particular person, but he was on his way. And uh, a lot of believers today have kind of got this mentality that it is automatic. If Jesus wants to show up and do his thing, he will do it. But I want to show you today that if you want your identity activated, if you want to walk in the fullness of your purpose, if you want to really know God, there's certain things you need to do. Do you know how to get heaven's attention? This is serious business. This is serious business because many people wonder, why did this happen to Zacchaeus? Why did this happen to blind Bartimaeus? Why did Jesus choose this person and not that person? There's certain triggers. There's certain things that trigger heaven. And I want to show you what some of these things are today. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. How many of you have thought of that before? That his plan wasn't to just chill there. He was actually passing through. Are you aware of Jesus passing through in your life? A lot of miracles took place when he was passing through. This is so important. And I want to emphasize this. Okay. A lot of miracles took place when he was passing through. When he was on his way to do another miracle. And then uh, the woman with the issue of blood stops him. And he says, who touched me? It's not like it was Jesus' goal to look for this woman with the issue of blood. Who touched me? He was on his way somewhere else. And some of you have given up on Jesus because you thought that he's disqualified you. And so you're now disqualifying yourself because you're seeing him moving in seemingly another direction. But there are things you can do to get heaven's attention. He would not have necessarily stopped He was just passing through. Do you know how to get heaven's attention? This is so important. Let's see what Zacchaeus did. In verse 2 it says, A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. So he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. Okay? Chief of sinners. And was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Isn't that amazing? So he had obviously heard about Jesus. Maybe he had heard that, hey, Jesus also loves the sinner. Maybe he had heard reports concerning Jesus' teachings and Jesus' miracles. And as a result, he wanted to see who Jesus was. Some of you have heard about Jesus, but you're not curious enough to explore and to research to see who Jesus is. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd because he was short. He wasn't in denial about his shortness, but he made a plan. Some of you are like, oh, I'm short. And I'm I'm using this as a metaphor. Some of you are like, oh, you know what? I'll never get to see Jesus. And you disqualify yourself. I've sinned too much. I was born on the wrong side of the railway track. I'm too black, I'm too white, I'm too female, I'm too male. Whatever thing disqualifies you. Jesus doesn't see it as a disqualification point. So this guy makes a plan. 
He doesn't limit himself and say, oh, I'm short. It's fine. I'm short. Oh, look, I can't see. These guys, they're not even making way for me. I'm short. He doesn't say that. He makes a plan. So he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. For me, this is so powerful. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was and he had heard about Jesus, but did not leave it there. He wanted to see for himself. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Do you want to see Jesus for yourself? You see, many people today have secondhand revelation of Jesus and they settle for that. Yeah, my dad told me Jesus is like this. My mom told me Jesus is like this. They've heard about him, but sadly they leave it there. This man did something different. His desire to see Jesus caused him to set aside his dignity and run and climb up a tree. Isn't that amazing? Now, grown men in the Middle East back in the day, they wouldn't have done that. They didn't just run. It was shameful for a man to, to run. He would have had to literally, uh, you know, hitch up his tunic and reveal his bare uh, legs, which was a shameful thing for them to do. But it's interesting when you look in the Gospels, do you remember it was the, the, the father of the prodigal? He ran. That was shameful to do. And this guy not only, not only ran, but he ended up climbing up a tree. I mean, that's something we associate with kids. I mean, last time I checked, I wasn't like, hey, let me climb up a tree. Hey, Pastor Stuart over there, you're in your tree. I'm in my tree. Let's have fun. No, our, our kids do that. But generally speaking, grown-ups don't typically do that. But here is this man, wealthy, tax collector, chief tax collector. There's a crowd that's there and he's so desperate to see Jesus. He's willing to run and he's willing to climb up into a tree. It was a shameful thing for people to do. Question, what are you willing to do to see Jesus? What are you willing to do to see Jesus? This kind of desperation gets Jesus' attention. Maybe it was easier for Zacchaeus to do this because he was dead to the praise of man and the rejection of man. Maybe. You know, he knew they already hated him. And maybe for some of us, we need to come to that place where we're no longer controlled by the fear of the praise or the rejection of uh, people. We're no longer controlled by the desire for the praise of man and the fear of the rejection of man. Maybe he was dead to it because he'd been rejected so much. He was not popular. I find it interesting because Zacchaeus positioned himself to see. If we want an encounter with Jesus who activates our identity, if we want an encounter with him that will activate us into the fullness of our identity, we need to position ourselves to see. That's so key. What is it about your posture toward Jesus that would cause him to stop at your house when he was just passing through town? You see, it's interesting. God is no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible tells us. But he's a respecter of faith. Faith pleases him. So he wasn't worried about Zacchaeus' past. He was responding to Zacchaeus' faith and expectation and desperation. Isn't that powerful? 
And you know what? We don't want just a visitation from Jesus. We want God to make us his habitation. This is so powerful. You see, Jesus didn't just say, hey, let's have a quick chat. Let's have a quick cup of tea. Hey, let's just chat. Oh, this is a nice tree. Let me also climb up the tree and have a quick discussion with you, Zacchaeus. He didn't do that. He did that with quite a number of other people. But with Zacchaeus, look what he says. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He was emphatic about it. What is it about you that gets Jesus' attention to not just have a quick conversation by a tree, but to actually insist that he needs to come to your house? And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't force himself. He doesn't actually force himself. He is still welcomed by Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus responded. You see, Jesus is saying to us today, I want to come and transform your life. I want to come and activate your identity. But he's waiting for us to welcome him gladly. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, immediate response, and welcomed him gladly. I believe that we're in a time and we're in a season where Jesus is expecting an immediate response from us. And for some of you, for too long, you've been wanting him to break through in your life. You've been wanting to move to new dimensions in God, but you've hesitated when Jesus has said, I need to come to your house. I just want to chill at your crib for some time. I just want to come and chill with you for some time. For some of you, you're like, no, Jesus, let's, let's meet at the restaurant. No, Jesus, let's just chill at that sycamore tree. But you're not willing for him to come to your house. But he's saying, I need to come and I need to come immediately. You see, sometimes we don't invite certain people to our homes. We prefer the restaurant because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to have them in our homes. What are they going to see? What are my kids going to do? Oh, there's this thing that isn't tidied up. Oh, there's this thing that isn't maintained properly. Oh, we still need to fix this. Oh, we still need to fix that. And for some of you, Jesus wants to come and activate your identity so you walk in the fullness of God. But you're hesitant because you're like, what is he going to see? And what does it involve? And I'm going to lose control. And you've enjoyed your control for too long. I believe that Jesus is taking us to new heights. There's certain things that Jesus wants to activate in our lives today, but we actually need to come to a place where we respond without hesitation. In verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. There will always be the crowd. And the more influential you become, and the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to your breakthrough, it's so crucial that you know how to manage the crowd. You know, there's a whole science to it, crowd management, right? You know, when people do crusades, when people have big events, when you become a celebrity, a key thing is managing the crowd. How are you going to deal with the crowd? We've just finished shooting um, season two of Saving Our Marriage. It's going to be so powerful. It's only going to be aired in January. But one of the things uh, that we had a discussion uh, with regards to was how they will deal with social media because there are certain people who will like, like them and there are certain people who will hate them. They'll be loved by certain people, but other people will loathe them. That's just what happens. But how do you deal with that? 
How do you deal with fame? How do you deal with success? How do you deal with visibility? There will always be the crowd. And, and some of you, your destiny is being hindered right now simply because you don't know how to deal with the people around you who are muttering. What are they going to say? What are they going to think of me? One of the biggest fears that people have is the fear of being judged unfairly, the fear of being misunderstood. For some of you, that's the thing you need to overcome. And you know what I think is awesome? The two main actors in this particular narrative, Jesus and Zacchaeus, they didn't care what the crowd thought. That's one of the things they had in common. Jesus doesn't mind being misunderstood by the crowd when he reactivates your identity. These people said, oh, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Je didn't stop Jesus. Didn't stop Jesus. Do you think you will only see Jesus from afar? Or do you believe that he can come to your home? What do you believe? We have to have faith for these things. Do you believe he can do miracles through you? Do you think, do you think that Jesus wants to make you his habitation? Do you think that he wants to make your household a dwelling place for him? What do you think? What do you believe? Zacchaeus believed. Do you believe he wants to be hosted by you? Do you believe that his spirit can be hosted by you? Do you believe you can host the supernatural? In verse 8, very powerful. It says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Jesus hadn't asked him to do that, but he did that. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this guy obviously knew his scriptures reasonably well. He knew that pattern because um, with, with, with the ancient Jews, that was what they practiced. If someone stole something, sometimes they would return it sevenfold, you know, as the scriptures would say. There was an element of understanding about, you know what, if you steal, you need to return it. And not just returning what you stole, but returning more than you stole. So he had an idea of the scriptures with regards to this. He says, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Isn't that powerful? You see, there's always a crowd and the crowd always has an opinion. But this didn't stop Zacchaeus and it didn't stop Jesus. The crowd can try to disqualify you from an identity activation, but Jesus doesn't disqualify you. Man cannot demote that which God has promoted. And God there was promoting Zacchaeus. God there was speaking to Zacchaeus' identity in the same way that he spoke to people like Gideon. Rise up, mighty warrior. He spoke to, Jesus, to, to Gideon's identity. He activated Gideon's identity. But here's what I find interesting. Gideon still had to go and tear down the idols of his father. And what I find interesting here is that Zacchaeus still needed to repent. Jesus, Jesus didn't say to him, oh, you need to repent right now. Repent, repent, repent. But after he had repented and practiced restitution, Jesus announced salvation has come to this house. And he announced Zacchaeus' identity. It's important that your identity is made known, not just to yourself, but to the people around you. And I believe that we're in a season where our identity is being announced to the world. The world will know who we are in Christ. And the world will observe, watch and learn, watch and learn, watch and learn. I just think it's so, so powerful. 
Man cannot demote that which God has promoted. And God is promoting you right now. Just receive that. God is promoting you right now. I believe it's a season of elevation. Some of you have been hidden. Some of you have been in obscurity. Some of you have been wanting to start new businesses. But uh, the ideas haven't come forth. And then when the ideas come, the cash isn't there. But I'm telling you right now, this is your season for identity activation. It's the same for our church. We're in a season where God is elevating us. People who didn't know about us are getting to know us globally. There are things happening in the background. It's our time to be elevated. And I'm not saying this as a point of pride. I'm saying it as a point of connecting with our destiny. Amen. And it's interesting because in verse 9, we see Jesus declaring this man's true identity. And this is how God works. You see, he looks past our frailties and mistakes and reminds us of who we really are. For this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And he didn't just say to Zacchaeus, he announced it to everyone. Isn't that powerful? I believe that we're in a season where this is taking place. And in this way, God is covenantal. He's covenantal. So don't disqualify yourself based on your performance. You see, God is covenantal. He makes declarations over us based on an agreement he's made with us, based on his promise. Isn't that powerful? Very often when Jesus would activate people's identity, he would then quote scripture. He would quote scripture. Do you know where you're located in scripture? Do you know who you are in God? You see, it is important for your identity to be known by you and also declared to others. Let's have a look at another powerful uh, passage of scripture. In uh, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read from verses 1 through to 16. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage uh, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Now, this is so powerful because I'm going to show you identity and we're using the examples of animals here, right? But I believe that it will speak to you. He says, you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I, I, I think this is awesome. You see, you can be called at the same time as someone else. That's the first thing I want to highlight. He didn't just call the one donkey. I know in another account, it's just, you know, there's a, there's a donkey over there, right? But he says the donkey and her colt. I think that's phenomenal. You see, Jesus seemed to need both the donkey and the colt. And many people disqualify themselves because they do not feel unique. For example, they wonder, you know, why should I write on this topic? Why should I write a book on this topic? There have been many books written on this particular topic. But God wants to use you maybe in a similar way as he's used other people. There are times when God will have a similar calling for more than one person. There are times when God will call two people at the same time. And you see, sometimes in our search for uniqueness, our search for significance, we kind of think to ourselves, oh, but so-and-so is already doing it. It's interesting that the calling was very similar, wasn't it? You know, I, I want you to get this donkey and her cult. I want to use both of them. And isn't it interesting that the assignment was the same for the two disciples that had been sent out? 
This is so important. Sometimes your identity, when it's activated, can look similar to someone else and you can reject it because you're thinking, oh, do I need to be a pastor, Lord? There are other pastors. Do we need to plant another church, Lord? There are already other churches. But God has something unique for you, even if it looks similar to someone else. And very often God needs more than one person doing a similar thing because there are many people to reach. There are certain people who I will reach with my message. And with a similar message, there's another crowd that you will reach that I can't reach because God has wired you for those people. This is so crucial. This is so important. Okay. So many people disqualify themselves because they don't feel unique. They don't feel unique. It's interesting how these disciples needed to untie the donkey and the colt. They need to untie them in order for them to live out their purpose. You see, identity activation requires for you to be loosed from certain things. You have to be untied from certain things before Jesus can fully use you. Are you willing to be loosed? Are you willing to be loosed? And of what do you need to be loosed from? In a similar account in Luke, it said that the donkey had never been ridden on. You see, God wants us to be completely his. We belong to him. And I believe that that was the special purpose of this donkey and the cult to be used by Jesus. And so activation of your identity, identity activation involves the deactivation of pseudo identities. In order for this donkey and this cult to be used by Jesus, it had to get rid of other uses. It needed to be solely his. It couldn't be doing both and. And the problem is a lot of people today want to do both and. You see, the donkey and the colt were set apart for Jesus. Jesus knew that they might be asked questions. Remember I said to you earlier on, there's always the crowd and the crowd will matter and people will inquire. People will make inquiry. Hey, why are you now doing this? We used to see you at the dodgy places doing other things. Why are you now doing this? Why are you so radical? You don't have to give them long-winded answers. Jesus knew that they might be asked questions. And so proactively, proactively, he gives them a solution. See, when our identity is being activated, people will at some point ask why. At some point, they'll ask why. It's happened to me. It's going to happen to you if it hasn't already. Tell them Jesus needs me. Just tell them Jesus needs you. You see, tell them you've been chosen. You don't need to give long, elaborate explanations. He just says, when people ask you, just say, I need the donkey. I need the cult. <laughs> and it says that they will release the donkey. They will release the cult immediately. Okay. So God, God was basically giving them uh, a tip there. Jesus was giving them a tip. In verse 4, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I don't know why he needed both. Ever thought of that? I don't know why he needed both. What, what, were they, were they going to get tired and then he needs to use the other one? I, I don't know. Was he just going to use the donkey and he associated the two with each other? Was it a case where he didn't want to split them up? 
Remember when he called the disciples, he would often call them in pairs, you know, these brothers and then these brothers. I don't know if it was the same with the donkey and the, and, um, and the colt. Didn't want to split them up. I don't know. But what I find interesting is that Jesus has come to activate what he already knows about you. You see, it's prophetic fulfillment. Identity activation is prophetic fulfillment. And so my question to you is, have you located yourself in scripture? Jesus isn't just randomly saying, do this, do that. No. He locates you in scripture and he comes to activate the fulfillment of that scripture. In verse 6, it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and uh, those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is what I believe. The activation of your identity will result in God being glorified. That's his agenda. You see, we're not doing this for ourselves. And the moment you're doing this for your own glory, that disqualifies you. We're doing this so that Jesus may be glorified. You know, in John uh, 15, it's so important. John 15 verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Other translations say, In this the Father is glorified in your bearing much fruit. When we are fruitful, when our identity is activated, guess what happens? Father God is glorified. I want to be fruitful. I want my identity to be activated. I want to walk in the fullness of my purpose so that Jesus is glorified. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So you see, the activation of your identity will cause people to be curious and ask questions. You see, God will start doing certain things in us, in our church, in the people. He'll start doing certain things that make us a sign and a wonder. That's one of the things that happens when your identity is activated. You don't just do signs and wonders. You become a sign and a wonder. You begin to embody God's glory. And people will look and they'll be curious and they'll say, what's going on? These are, these are just ordinary people, but how come God is using them this way? And people will answer and they will know these people have been with Jesus. That's what happened with the early apostles. Who are these people who've turned the world upside down? They could see these people have been with Jesus. Okay. I like... Uh, Verse 12, this is Jesus in the temple. This is another powerful account, powerful narrative. Uh, goes on to say, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. First thing I want to say here is that this was messy. This was messy. Jesus was not polite. Jesus did not go and say, oh, excuse me, guys, um, this isn't what my father's house was for. Can you please leave? You know, he wasn't all gentlemanly about it, right? Uh, you see, identity activation will require certain things in your life to be overturned. This is so important. 
Zacchaeus had to repent. Gideon had to destroy the idols of his father. Okay? You see, there are a lot of activities that take place in sacred environments, yet God does not approve of them. There are a lot of activities that take place in sacred environments, yet God does not approve of them. And if he wants to activate your identity, if he wants to activate my identity, he comes and he begins to overturn certain things. You see, Gideon has his, had his identity activated when God called him a mighty warrior, but he was still, he still had to destroy the idols in his father's house. This is so important. What needs to be overturned in your life? And are you open to it being overturned? Are you willing for it to be overturned? And do you recognize that Jesus is the one who's doing the overturning? And let me tell you something. When that money, when those tables were overturned, money was probably lost. It's not like Jesus said, hey, just check. No, people end up looting. People end up coming and picking up that cash. All right? It ends up messy. But it's interesting how they listened to him. I believe that uh, that temple was a sacred space. It was consecrated to God. And whenever we consecrate our lives to the Lord and we say, Jesus, I belong to you. He has the right to just come in and do what he wants to do. And sometimes we'll end up feeling like we've lost something and we end up grieving the loss. And sometimes we end up rebuking the loss, thinking it's the enemy when it's actually the work of Jesus overturning things in your life. Okay. When Jesus changes things in your life, it can sometimes look messy. He didn't do it politely. He didn't politely ask them to leave. The temple was already consecrated to God. So in a sense, Jesus was in charge. Our bodies are his temple today. He's in charge of our bodies. We belong to him. What is it in you that Jesus is overturning and driving out today? And do you see it as a loss? Are you conscious of what you might gain instead? Because what I find interesting in this narrative is there was something that was gained instead. And I'm going to go into that just now. Are you aware that Jesus is the one who's doing this, who's overturning certain things in your life? You see? Or are you just rebuking the devil left, right, and center? You know, I find it amazing in this narrative how, I mean, Jesus basically sends the guy out who's selling doves. I mean, poor people used to use doves. They would buy the doves. They would use them as sacrifices, right? Um, and I find it interesting that, you know, Jesus will just, you know, chase these guys out. He knew the motives of the heart, okay? In verse 13, he goes on to say, it is written, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He saw the heart. He saw the heart. I don't believe it was just an issue of the fact that they were selling things. I don't think there was an issue for Jesus. I think he saw the heart of con men. He saw people profiteering. He saw people's motivation of being in the temple as, uh, you know, he saw the greed behind it. And I find it interesting how he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You see, Jesus will always explain himself. He didn't just drive them out. He didn't just uh, overturn their tables. He explained what he was doing. Jesus will always explain why he's doing something in your life. If you seek his face, if, he's, if you seek his face, he goes back to the identity of his house. Isn't that amazing? Jesus gives everything he created, everything that was his idea, he gave it an identity. He doesn't just create, he gives it an identity. Let me ask you a question. What are you making certain things become? See, Jesus here says, I will, I've called my house 
a house of prayer for the nations. But you are making it into something else. What are you making certain things become? We've got the power to do that. What are you making family become? Jesus gave family an identity. What are you making it become? What are you making marriage become? What are you making your sister in Christ become? You see, what are you making your body become? Because the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we make it become something else. Okay? What are you making your body become? Jesus has given these things an identity. Right? But we often make them become something else. In verse 14, he started using that temple environment for its true identity, a house of prayer. Okay? It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple. So he was still at the temple. He didn't just chase these guys out and then disappear. What happened? He demonstrated the purpose of that environment. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You see, I think it's amazing because this account ends with Jesus demonstrating the purpose of the temple according to its true identity. Children are praising him. It looks messy because it's children doing it. People were into, you know, the whole dignity of, you know, these are adults doing their thing, you know. It looked chaotic, right, in terms of what was going. The sick were being healed. And it says these people saw Jesus doing wonderful things and they became indignant, would you rather sell doves to people and be a money, t- money changer? Or would you rather experience Jesus' miraculous power? You see, when Jesus drove out the money changers, he was making way for his power to flow. But he had to first drive out the money changers. See, the church today wants to experience miracles, but is unwilling to drive out the money changers. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. We want to experience the miraculous. We want Jesus to come to our homes and make our homes his habitation. But we are not willing to drive out the money changes in our lives. You see, there are those with a contrary spirit that will consistently and continuously fight against identity activation. So when Jesus is now activating the identity of the temple, it's true identity, people getting healed, true praise happening. They're those who become indignant. In verse 16, he says, Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, again, location in scripture, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Isn't that powerful? When you are praying for your children to be worshippers and to really praise God, quote these scriptures and and activate their identity. Lord, you said from the mouths of babes shall praise come forth. I thank you that my children will be worshippers. I thank you, God, that yes, they love music already, but they will honor you with their love for music. Thank you, Jesus. I claim the scripture. Okay. 
So again, Jesus locates the activity in scripture. And by doing so, he's reminding them of who they really are. And I believe that the children were hearing this. The children were hearing this and they were like, oh, so it's fine for us to praise Jesus. Let's praise him all the more. You see, because that's how parents end up affecting the praise of children. They're like, hey, come on, children, keep quiet. It's like the disciples. They rebuked the children from coming close to Jesus. Okay. In Romans 8, Verse 19, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Some translations say uh, the sons of God to be revealed. It says creation is groaning eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. You know what that's talking about? Your community is waiting for your identity to be activated. That's you to be revealed. That's you to be revealed. Right? And let's not have false humility about this. Your community is waiting for your identity to be activated. Your church is waiting. Your nation is waiting. Your family is waiting for your identity to be activated. My question to you is, are you like Zacchaeus? Are you ready to position yourself for Jesus, the identity activator? Are you ready? I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. I want to be like a Zacchaeus and climb up that sycamore tree because I want to see more of Jesus. This Jesus I've heard about, I want to experience him tangibly. I'm desperate for that. And maybe he will say, Paul, I must come to your house and I will experience an encounter with him. I believe that Jesus is here and he's about to do something so powerful. I want to pray now. Father, I thank you so much for all those who are listening to this message. I thank you for this precious work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you right now, Lord, that you're positioning your people to be activated in their identity. I pray particularly for those who haven't got a revelation of what you've called them to. I pray for those who are wondering why God has passed me by. I pray, Father, for a change of mindset right now. I pray for an opening up of our hearts, Lord, and a readiness to position ourselves with expectation. Father, we lay aside our dignity. We will be undignified in order to tap into you. We will run to you, Jesus. We will climb up that tree. And when you say, I must come to your house, we will open up our hearts, Lord, and we will welcome you gladly. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do a deep work of identity activation in our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to minister to you beyond the words that I've spoken and you will do a deep work in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.